Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Anthology of Horror. I'm your host, Spring Heel Jack, and we will be visiting once again today the ever-growing and very exciting list of haunted shit in California. Uh, today it's actually going to be haunted shit, not just uh, you got a purdy mouthville. Um, thank you all for tuning back in. If this is your first episode, welcome. And to all repeat listeners, thank you very much. I appreciate each and every one of you. So... Let's just get right into it. California is so rich in history, legend, and lore, it seems only natural that all sorts of ghosts, spooks, specters, and unknown entities have chosen to make their presence felt here. Across the wonderful state of California, we hear tales of haunted houses, haunted roads, haunted cemeteries, and other dark places where the not-quite-departed are said to gather. Some of these apparitions have been so familiar that the ghosts have been given recognizable cute names like Roger. Other ghosts, though, shun notoriety, and they uh, choose to make their presence known only to the owner of the house in which they dwell. There are many theories about these manifestations. Some say that ghosts are victims of woe-filled lives of untimely deaths and are eternally trapped. They cling to the here and now, perhaps trying to right old wrongs and resist an afterlife that they are not ready yet to embrace. Others say that ghosts don't know why they've passed on. They may endlessly repeat a single action or movement as if they were caught in a tape loop. They may appear for brief flashes, may be passing between dimensions on their journey. Uh, in this state, they may be able to affect material objects. Uh, this is when the poltergeist, or noisy spirit, may make its presence known to us in all manner of terrifying ways, if you believe in that sort of bullshit. I'm not saying that I don't. I'm just saying that I like being skeptical. I take everything, uh, say a little, little... Not quite a grain of salt, more a shot of penicillin, I think. Shot of penicillin. In this chapter, we will visit some hotspots of ghostly activity around the glorious Golden State and hear tales from its darker corners from some of the more educated members of the California population. Whether you're a believer or a skeptic, you may find yourself sleeping with the lights on tonight. So curl up, get settled in, and re talk at you about places that hillbillies allege are haunted in California. Okay, this is one of my personal favorites that I have a very well thought out conspiracy theory, at least I think I do. Uh, okay, and that is sitting squat in the center of the disgusting Silicon Valley, sprawling across nine glorious acres of some of the most desirable real estate in the fantastic and beautiful town of San Jose is an immense edifice that's a monument to those quintessentially Californian traits of excess, brazen eccentricity, and occult-inspired paranoia. And of course, I am talking about Hearst Castle. Just kidding, I'm talking about the Winchester Mystery House, and it's a 160-room Victorian behemoth, and it was constructed for one purpose only, allegedly, to make Sarah Winchester seem like a raving fucking lunatic. Uh, but what they told you was to confuse and house an army of ghosts because Sarah Winchester was a fucking nut job. But I have my theories about this. I have, I'm a, I'm a firm Sarah Winchester supporter, not for the reasons you might think. 
the mansion was the creation of Sarah Winchester, wife of the Connecticut firearms magnate William Wirt Winchester. She was wealthy, attractive, and talented. She was one of the bright lights in her New Haven society until both her husband and her child died and went to their early graves far too young. Allegedly, according to the story, she was half crazed with grief. Sarah sought comfort from a spiritualist. He told her that her loved one's lives had been taken by the restless spirits of the many men killed by the Winchester repeating rifle, a.k.a. the gun that won the West. The spirits would eventually turn on her as well, he said, unless she moved west and built a home big enough to house them all. He also told Sarah that she must never stop building and expanding on the house, and if work stopped, she would die. Um, I'm going to read you the contemporary accepted story, and then I'm going to tell you what I think actually happened. Because much like my Minotaur theory, I have one that I've, I've spent a lot of time just, I don't want to say obsessing, but obsessing about. Uh, Sarah took the medium's counsel literally and to epic extremes because she had epic amounts of money. Migrating to California in 1984, she bought an eight-room farmhouse on what was the outskirts of San Jose. For the time, at least. Then she dedicated her two, $21 million inheritance and rifle royalty payments to granting the spirit's wishes. For the next 38 years, she had an army of artisans expand, rebuild, and remodel the house to hold the ghosts of the Winchester rifle victims. The hammering and sawing never stopped uh, at Casa de Winchester, and Sarah's immense wealth and total obsession made sure that her well-paid workmen were busy 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Sounds like a union man's wet dream. Sitting in a secret blue-walled seance room, deep in the house's interior, Mrs. Winchester held nightly courts with the spirits, whose constant demands for more rooms guaranteed an ever-changing and very confusing floor plan. Balconies, fireplaces, rooms, and whole wings sprouted up from nowhere, like shit or mushrooms. The house grew to immense proportions, and at the end of the four-decade construction binge, it contained 47 fireplaces, 9 kitchens, 10,000 windows, and 2,000 doors. And countless others that were hidden or buried or... The place is a fucking labyrinth. Sarah designed most of the features herself, which, remember that, and many of the additions and improvements reflected her own bizarre superstitions and fears. They say bizarre superstitions, and I say fucking brilliant ingenuity. Keep that in mind. And it also uh, was the... <laughs> the tangible product of her paranoia and superstition and the chaotic randomness of her mind. Doors opened into dead-end hallways and blank walls, or opened into three-story drops. Corridors tapered from a normal width down to inches-wide crawl spaces. Stairways led nowhere, undulated like roller coasters, and compressed 42 steps into a nine-foot climb with two-inch-high rises. The fuck? It was said that she installed these strange features to confuse and thwart evil spirits who were constantly arriving at the house courtesy of the Winchester 73 rifle. I believe that was the one that was uh, used predominantly in the Plains campaigns, the Indian Wars. Sarah never slept in the same bedroom at the mansion more than one night in a row. The old nomad. And after 1906, there was a huge earthquake that hit San Jose, uh, and it took the servants almost an hour to find her in the house's asshole, trapped in a room that was had a door blocked. Terrified by the earthquake, she thought it was caused by spirits. She moved temporarily onto a houseboat 
but soon returned to her monstrous mansion where she remained until her death in 1922 uh, at the ripe age of 85. The house now is a natural magnet for psychic investigators, and such famed occult detectives, uh, such as the wonderful magician Harry Houdini, have visited it. Many seances have been held in the mansion's strange blue room. Mediums have seen unearthly lights bobbing around endless hallways and felt the presence of Mrs. Winchester and long-dead servants and workmen. <clears throat> Even Sarah Winchester herself appeared posthumously in the earthquake-devastated daisy bedroom and ornate music room. But one final supreme irony hangs over the spirit-ridden house. Neither the psychics nor the countless tourists who tramp through the house every year have yet to report hearing, seeing, or sensing a ghost of anyone felled by a Winchester rifle. Interesting. So, my theory about Sarah Winchester is if you look at the construction on the house, she was a pioneer with some of the just, it's seemingly insane shit that she did, like she had a pipe. Say she was building an upstairs bedroom, she would have a small thin pipe that would run down the wall about eye level from her, uh, go through the wall, run all the way down to the room beneath them where it would be exposed in like a, a vent and covered by a grill and it would conduct sound perfectly to whoever was standing upstairs listening in it was like a bug, but without the recording software, it was just like a manual bug. So if you told guests to wait for you downstairs and you went upstairs to, you know, change your strumpet or fucking whatever they did back in the time, um, you could hear what they were saying about you. I was really impressed with that design, but she came up with all sorts of different shit, like different dumbbell systems or dumbwaiter systems. She was clever. And um, her husband was not. So I think that Sarah Winchester invented the mechanism for the repeating rifle, and I think that because of the times, her husband, having already been, uh, I don't want to, an arms manufacturer, just patented it under his name, because I don't know if women could do patents back then. I don't think so, but I'm not, I don't know that to be true for sure. But if my theory is as I think it is, women could not hold patents, and I believe her husband probably just did it for her, and uh, then pushed it through pr uh, promotion, or production rather, because uh, if, even if they could have patents, there's no fucking way that arms manufacturing men would take her seriously with a design like that, especially with how different it was from everything else. Uh, there's no facts really to p back this up other than my deductive reasoning looking at the stuff that she has designed personally in her house. Um, it's, it's still a far cry away from the, the repeating mechanism, but that's what I think. And, um... I think that just due to freak occurrences, she was riddled by grief and fucking held herself accountable when she realized how many people that shit fucking killed. And directly because of her, if she was the one that invented that mechanism. And that she was just able to blame everything that happened to her from that point forward on her making the cursed rifle. And then she went to a psychic who, as a in most people's experiences, are just brutal con men. Not all of them. Not all of them. Some of them. That have given all the other ones a bad name. They're not all terrible people, but I feel like the ones that you hear about most often in this sort of scenario are out there trying to fuck you. And uh, this guy, 
You should go to uh, California, huh? And then you buy a house, say, I don't know, San Jose, uh, San Francisco, and uh, build it big, yeah? Huge, big house. Uh, I tell you what, it will confuse spirits if you build house because uh, they will be lost in the rooms and happy spirits will be there to uh, take care of you and shit. Oh, by the way, if you're going to do that, here, take this card for my brother-in-law. He has a construction company in San Francisco. And then, sure enough, he's employed for the next 85 years. And that's how the cookie crumbles. All of theory, none of that is really based on fact. More just my conjecture, what I want to believe. But it makes sense to me. I believe that she probably was taken advantage of in her grief by somebody that was benefiting from her being insane. And also, um, I believe that a lot of the Sarah Winchester's insane propaganda came because she was the majority shareholder in the Winchester Firearms Company, and they wanted to make her look like she was uh, just incapable of being a majority shareholder. I think they may have gone over that in that, that Winchester movie, and I don't know if that's 100% fact either, but I believe that is the case, because I know they were pretty shitty with her about some of the uh, the things that they shouldn't have been. Um, specifically what, I don't fucking know. I'm not too well-versed in uh, anything other than the house, but something to think about. Interesting. And uh, here's some stories from Toothless Hillbillies that write real good. I finally fulfilled a lifelong dream during my last California trip. My best friend Liz and I got to explore the twisting halls of this amazing perplexing structure known as the Winchester Mystery House, which I have longed to visit since first hearing its story when I was a very young child. I was awe-stricken at the sight of the house the second it came into view. The sheer, massive size was UNBELIEVABLE, and the weirdness started almost immediately. As we waited for our mansion tour to begin, I decided to shoot a few pics of the place. Man, riveting. I used my LCD screen to line up the shot, but the second I aimed the camera at the house, the LCD went wacky and I got a bizarre effect. As soon as I panned the camera away from the house, the screen would clear up, and yet every time I aimed at the house again, it started giving static-like, almost a negative-looking effect. Call over young Liz to verify that it was happening and she couldn't believe that it was happening either. She even took a picture of my camera's LCD screen for good measure. Once we entered the house for our tour, 160 of the mansion's rooms, the camera weirdness continued. We had three fully charged batteries between the two of us, yet we both started losing battery power as soon as we entered the house. Uh, that's something. I continued to snap picture after picture. You barbarian fuck, you're using the viewfinder for everything. But I keep getting completely blacked out shots or strange colored negative-like effects. Take off the lens cap. I have never before or since seen my camera do anything remotely like this. It almost seemed like serious camera problems except for the fact that I was getting some perfectly normal good shots in between the really weird ones. Sounds like you're a shit photographer, buddy. Liz and I both felt goose bumpy when our guide explained that Sarah Winchester dwelled here and she did not allow any photographs to be taken of her. Perhaps she was hanging around during parts of our tours, letting us know that she was still the lady of the house. It took over an hour to make our way through all the rooms, and without our guide, I feel sure we would have gotten hopelessly lost, because there's so many twists and turns, false passageways, and hidden doorways, it's unbelievable. We moved through the blue seance room, the bedroom where Sarah Winchester died, and the grand ballroom where she used to entertain her ghostly guests at 
the stroking of midnight. Uh, stroke this. We saw the bizarre stairway that leads literally into the ceiling. And bathrooms with windows in the doors. Who cares, man? Let them watch. Welcome. Sarah's mystery house is filled with cryptic messages and meanings. The number 13 can be found hidden throughout the house everywhere. Curtain rods, 13 rings. Windows and ceiling panels, 13 panels. Sink drains have 13 holes, so on and so forth. Uh, the symbol of the daisy, which in its perfect form has 13, yes, that's right, 13 petals, can be seen everywhere. In rugs, chandeliers, windows and walls. And there are two very mysterious messages written in the stained glass windows that Sarah designed personally for the ballroom. Uh, they're prophetic and poetic and all sorts of things that you want in your stained glass windows. The left window reads, Why to unclasp the tables of their thoughts? While the right says, These same thoughts people this little world. I think that's a code, and I think I can break that. Um, Tiny seems to stand still, time seems to stand still in the Winchester's house. An air of secrecy permeates every wall and every floorboard. The confusing, mind-bending twists and turns and perplexing mysteries inside its walls left Liz and I puzzled and intrigued when we stepped back out into the warm California sunshine with three completely dead camera batteries, a handful of weird pictures, and a whole bunch of questions. Written by Shady. So I just tried a little bit of a like a code break on that fucking window, and one of the words, or one of the windows, rather, the first one that I read, wide and clasp the tables of their thoughts. Uh, if you rearrange the letters, you can spell the word planchette, like the thing that you use to move around on the Ouija board in the second one. I couldn't find anything, except for, uh, like, house gate, gatehouse, that sort of shit. Anyway, uh, here's another cleverly written write-in saying, I just had to write in and let you know that my mother and her siblings grew up in the Winchester house. Really? My grandfather was the manager of the house property for over 30 years. You know how many fucking times I've heard somebody say this shit? They lived in a portion of the original house set aside for the manager, blah blah blah, he was a tour guide and attending Santa Clara. Make a long story short, they played hide-and-seek. One of her best memories in the house was playing hide-and-seek in the 160 rooms when the tours were over and the lights were off. Very scary. Even scarier was the night I was sleeping on a couch in the main living room and I started screaming loudly as if I had just seen Sarah's body floating around the room. I'll never forget the image of it. It was truly a mysterious, boating house full of life and energy. Thank you, Bill from LostDestinations.com. Now we're going to move on to one of my personal favorites. The other world has followed this luxury cruise liner since her maiden voyage in 1934. Just after the big ship was launched, uh, London astrologist Lady Mabel Fortescue Harrison told newspapers, The Queen Mary launched today. We'll know her greatest fame and popularity when she never sails another mile and never carries another paying passenger. This psychic noblewoman was right. This ship is now permanently lodged at Pier J in Long Beach. The ship is one of Los Angeles' most famous tourist attractions. It's a 390-room floating hotel that also hosts tours, conventions, and maritime exhibits. It's also said to be one of the most haunted places in all of North America. Uh, all sorts of spooky shit has happened 
over the length of the 1,019-foot, 81,237-ton liner, lights flicker and on, uh, on and off by the G-deck, thought to be the location of the ship's old morgue. Doors slam, unaided by the human hand. Another hotspot is the swimming pool. Not the one you see on the tour, though. This one is uh, far removed, and there was some awful shit that happened down there. Where the ghost of a middle-aged woman in an archaic swimsuit sometimes dives headfirst into an empty basin. She is believed to be the, the spirit of a woman who drowned there. Some people have seen a young, mini-skirted, sexy woman pace around the pool area and disappear behind a pillar. Sounds of shouting and splashing have been heard at the deserted and empty poolside deck as well. And there are also stories of ghostly watery footprints appearing along the pool's edge. More unnerving phenomena have been reported in one of the kitchens. Oh man, the World War II stories, because they, they used the Queen Mary as a troop transport in World War II, and the stories were fucking awful. Um, there's not many people talk about Allied war crimes when it comes to uh, the winning side of the war and what we did wrong. There were no Nuremberg trials for the winners. Um, you know, thank you to everyone that served and whatnot, but there was some awful shit that happened that just went unpunished, and I think some of the worst stories I've ever heard um, happened. Queen Mary was a passenger ship up until when war broke out in Europe, and uh, she was safely docked in New York Harbor, fortunately. And it was there that she would sit idle for the next year while London decided what role she would play. It was later decided that she would be most effective as a people mover, a troop transport. The Queen Mary and the Queen Elizabeth, also in New York, both underwent wartime conversions. They were equipped with anti-aircraft guns, and their furnishings were removed and replaced with bunks, hammocks, and uh, medical stations. And they installed all sorts of shit in their dining rooms and converted them to mess halls and hospital areas. The Queen Mary's sleek black paint was replaced with a dull flat gray to help camouflage her from U-boats and patrolling aircraft. Her speed would become her greatest defense. She was fast as fuck. The Queen Mary traveled from Australia and Singapore to India and South Africa, carrying troops of the Commonwealth. And America entered the war, and uh, after that she shortly began transporting United States service personnel around the world as well. To this day, she holds the record for the most passengers carried in a single crossing, and that was 16,000 people. Not only did the Queen Mary ferry Allied troops during the war, as is the case with most wars, POWs need to be moved around, prisoners of war. So she carried German and Italian prisoners uh, to the United States and Canadian prison camps, or at least that was the intention. Uh, they were transported mainly in the cargo hold and lower sections until late in the war, uh, after they'd fucked this up enough that they realized it was probably going to be an issue. Uh, if you guys don't know that much about older ships, the cargo hold shares a very thin wall with the boiler room which has all the furnaces that power that 86,000-ton ship, and it's quite warm. So it's safe to say that the conditions they were keeping them in were uh, relatively inhumane, uh, but I was told the majority of the people in that, uh, that were being transported like that were SS, POWs, or surrendered SS. And uh, the English certainly hated the SS, as did most people, but they had a particular fetish for killing them, I guess or so the story goes, and so it would get to be over 110 in the cargo hold easily because there's no ventilation, because it's a fucking cargo hold. If there's ventilation, the ship is going to sink. So they packed them in there like cattle or like 
the Jewish people on trains, and standing room only was my understanding. They jammed them in there. They stuffed 5,000 in the cargo hold, is what I was told. And um, the SSPOW, since they knew what they did during the war, they wouldn't eat the food and they wouldn't drink the water that was being loaded down to them in cargo nets because they thought it was all poisoned. So it's not going to help dehydration when you're all packed in like that and it's fucking hot as shit and you're all standing body heat shoulder to shoulder brutal so they just started they died in hordes they died in mass numbers and they uh when they tried to lower down the food and the water they would just stuff their dead into it and then the british would just dump them off the side of the ship fuck them uh and also another terrible war crime that was committed on the ship was uh more legend than factual proof i haven't really found anything other than stories that this one's true but one of the more unnerving ones was reported in the kitchen, and that was during World War II also. Uh, when the ship was used as a troop transport, there was a, a close to what was described as a riot from combat veterans that were back on the troop being transported, and a huge brawl erupted in the galley because of the terrible food, and a cook was stuffed into an oven and burned to death. Now, there's no proof for this. Um, and near the, but allegedly near the site of his death, light switches turn themselves on and off, dishes move on their own accord, and utensils vanish. Or so they say. And the Queen Mary also cut it, uh, the naval requirements for ships staying safe during the time that she was in service as a troop carrier was that they needed to zigzag, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like. They're doing a zigzag pattern instead of straight line serpentine. It's harder to hit with a torpedo in theory. So in doing so, she cut one of her escort ships in half, and uh, 300 people were left for the sharks, because she could not stop. She needed to make best time. Uh, there are other ship-bound phantoms, including an elegant woman dressed in white who hangs around the salon's piano. I've played that piano. A ghostly officer who walks near the bridge, and a black-bearded man in coveralls who rides the engine room escalator. The latter is thought to be the spirit of old John Petter, an 18-year-old seaman who was crushed to death by a watertight door, door 13, coincidentally, during a routine drill in July of 1966. For some reason, the engine room is the most haunted place on the ship. Staff members and other tour guides who go there report clanging and knocking sounds, chains being whipped and dangled by unseen hands, and balls of light moving slowly across the halls. There are plenty of eerie experiences with the engine room. I love the Queen Mary. I thoroughly recommend that you check it out if you're in the area. It's a great spot. Um, the rooms are a little expensive, but it's worth it. I've stayed the night there a couple of times. Very nice. Uh, have I had any haunted experiences? No. Not so much. Um, I slept like a baby. But it was it's just a cool place. They let you wander the ship, which is what I really like. And their tours and tour guides are pretty informative and uh, reasonably priced. So this next one, I am very skeptical on. I've been here numerous times. I've never gotten the, the fucking hype about it. I've watched the stupid-ass movies. I've tried really hard to get into The Whaley House, which is officially recognized as the most haunted house in California by the U.S. Commerce Department, whatever the fuck that means. The Whaley House is a whistle stop on most major tours of San Diego. True. This fact should not deter weirdists from making a pilgrimage. Its reputation is well deserved. Allegedly. I don't think so. 
Every volunteer at the house has a story about swinging chandeliers, footfalls on the floor below or above them, smells of lavender perfume, burning tobacco, and seemingly solid flesh and blood figures dressed in 19th century clothes who walk around the corners and disappear. The cl place claims to be uh, to house at least seven apparitions, including a small terrier who will lick and fuck your leg. Charming. The house may have uh, been destined to be haunted since it was built on the site of a very brutal and disgusting hanging. Thomas Whaley was a New York businessman when in 1849 he decided to relocate to San Francisco to take advantage of the huge gold rush economy that was there at the time. His retail store was hit, but or it was a hit, but it burned down in 1851, and Whaley decided to try the milder west down south in sleepy San Diego. Like once again, he was successful, which allowed him to return to New York to marry his childhood sweetheart, Anna. So in 1855, they returned to San Diego and their new home uh, that Whaley had built for them on the land where the infamous hanging had occurred. Uh, a series of tragedies and triumphs, but mostly tragedies followed that. Most notably, the death of uh, Whaley's eldest and uh, admittedly favorite daughter in 1888, who shot herself in the chest, despondent over a failed marriage. Her father carried her from the backyard storage building, which is now the shitter, to the near bedroom, where she died in his arms. Inconsolable over the loss, he vowed never to live in that fucking home again. So in 1890, after Thomas Whaley finally died at the ripe old age of 57, the family moved back in, and the final Whaley descendant passed away in 1953. Altogether, six family members died in the house, as well as a neighbor child who strangled herself by running into a low-slung clothesline? The violent death that may have started all of this uh, was an example of quick and harsh, not necessarily well-thought-out frontier justice, and it was against a man named Yankee Jim Robinson, who was a small-time crook and a would-be aspiring pirate. He was caught trying to steal a rowboat in San Diego Bay. And while Yankee Jim's henchman got only a year in prison, uh, Yankee Jim was hung for the crime for some reason. At a time when the average man in the country stood about five feet, uh, five foot five, let's say, Yankee Jim Robinson at six foot four was hung from the gallows, barely taller than he was. So instead of having his neck snapped immediately, he was left to twist and choke on his tiptoes for about 45 minutes until he was pronounced dead finally. Thomas Whaley knew about the hanging, but did not believe in the superstitious bullshit, and he uh, slowly changed his mind on that, however, though, because over the years, him and his family were obliged to change their views. There's a woman that's been a volunteer tour guide at the Whaley house for about two years, and in that time, she has probably seen the entire panoply of spectral carnival, which isn't guaranteed to the casual tourist. Like I said, I've never heard of anybody other than the people that work there that have had experiences. And uh, it's the one place that I've ever gotten, like, either really bad photos with light blurs or orbs. But this woman claims she's heard a male voice clearing his throat when I'm in the dressing room changing into my costume. Um, gross. Others who have used the second floor rooms to don their period costumes and experience similar um, experiences. Thomas Whaley allegedly materializes at the head of the stairs of the master bedroom. It's not uncommon for visitors to smell the smoke of his cigar or to hear his deep laugh echoing throughout the house. 
Hama's wife, Anna, is also known to make frequent appearances, and she is described as beautiful and graceful, dressed in a gown of gingham. Her flowery perfume and lilting voice envelop the air and are followed by eerie strains of a distant piano. The house, or its permanent residents, apparently don't tolerate skeptics too well. There was this man who didn't believe in ghosts and was very vocal about it. He was a police chief and said he was an atheist and the whole thing. He was standing in the hallway talking to one of the volunteers and was suddenly hit square in the face with a puff of cigar smoke and the tour guide smelled it and somebody else saw it. Now he was a sudden convert, and the chief made a mad dash for the door, stood panting on the front porch, only to be hit with another shot of the ghostly stank. So the huge man that was big and tough never came back. Uh, we asked if anybody saw smoke, or if there might be an explanation of the episode, other than the one person that saw it. Uh, and Deborah, the woman that works there that is being interviewed, says, Well, that was the strange thing. There was no smoke, just a stink. We all smelled it. Deborah left me alone on the second floor for about 20 minutes, and I did smell the famous lavender-scented perfume that legend dictates was Anna Whaley's choice scent, but saw no movement, heard no voices, felt no ghostly brush across my face, as other visitors had reported experiencing. One of the most macabre and reoccurring happenings in this place is connected to the Yankee Jim hanging, and I think he has a sense of humor, Deborah observed. Sometimes we get visitors coming up or down the stairs, the agreed location of the old gallows, and they end up with red marks on their necks. Doesn't hurt, most people don't even notice until somebody else points it out. One girl ran out of the house in a panic after her boyfriend noticed the thin red line. Like some sort of a biorhythm from beyond, activity in the building appears to come and go in waves, and there's no guaranteed creep show, but the ghosts and noises are repeatedly reported and they are highly active during the holiday season for some reason from Thanksgiving to New Year's probably right in the middle of winter when tourism drops off in addition to the regular hours of operation the Whaley house is open from 9 p.m. to midnight for special showings in the week preceding and up to All Hallows Eve it is also open from 7 to 10 p.m. for nighttime tourists in the summer And ladies and gentlemen, on that note, thank you all for tuning back in. This has been another short and sweet episode of the Anthology of Horror, California edition. Uh, thank you for your continued support. Thank you for reaching out. And thank you very much for spreading the word to your friends. I can see that you're doing that and it is not going unnoticed. That's greatly appreciated. Uh, speaking of things being greatly appreciated, to keep all of this going, this uh, ad-free listening experience that I have crafted, if you could please check out first the iTunes store and find the podcast, just type in anthology of horror, rate me five stars. It would be much appreciated. And also as I am almost fully grown now, <laughs> as I'm in the process of getting better with technology, I have a website and a fancy corporate email and a Patreon. So if you'd like to send me an email, you can do so at spring Jack at anthologyofhorror.com that is springheeljack at anthologyofhorror.com uh, and while you're on the website which is anthologyofhorror.com there should be a link to the Patreon uh, any donation would be greatly appreciated because it does take time to make these episodes uh, 
I don't feel that you guys owe me anything. I enjoy doing it. I greatly appreciate all of you for uh, taking, the taking the time and giving me the opportunity to make these and continuing to listen to them. It's been a wonderful learning experience, and I appreciate all of you. But in the event that, you know, you wanted to donate anything would be appreciated, I thank you for your consideration, and I thank the people that suggested that because I never would have set it up. So, thank you. You know who you are. And on that note, uh, I am going to be on vacation, so it might be a little bit of radio silence for a while, but it should not last terribly long. So in the meantime, stay, stay well and stay spooky.